0: It is awesome, uh, the gifts that we have in this church. And so thank you, people, Uh, whoever you are, whoever serves and volunteers in all different kinds of ministries, thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for what you do. Uh, It is good to be a part of this faith family. Uh, If you don't know, my name is Andrew. I have uh, the privilege of being the associate pastor here at Emmaus Road. So if you're visiting with us here this morning, a special word of welcome to you. Maybe you grabbed a bulletin uh, or you see the the screen up here. Uh, We're going to be talking this morning about gifts. Gifts that God has given to us in our response to God's gifts. We've been talking about stuff for the last two weeks on giving. And so if you're here this morning, you're like, oh, man, I came to church and smack dab right in the middle of this. I'm going to hear a message on on giving like I haven't been to church in a long time. Maybe I'm visiting this church for the first time. Um, Like Pastor Brandon said two weeks ago, the the offering has already been passed. Like plates have been passed. The offering has already been taken. We're not going to try to coerce you to give. In fact, this morning's message is not really even on giving financially at all, because God is calling us to give way more than just our money back to him. And so I just want to say from the forefront, it's just been really awesome. Uh, the, the, the series that we've been really digging into the last number of weeks here. And so, Brandon, thank you for, for leading us in that and preaching uh, those messages to us. I know I'm not alone in saying uh, it has been really, really good to be underneath the teaching of God's word these last couple of weeks. And so love you, brother, for that. Thank you, Brandon. One thing that has become uh, more and more apparent to me over this, uh, the last couple of weeks and the last couple of series is that there is an immeasurable distance an immeasurable distance between the mind of God and the comprehension of humans. You know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I mean by that? I want you to hear these words in Isaiah chapter 55. I think they'll be up there on the screen. Um, Isaiah 55:9. 9. These are familiar verses to many of us. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways... Higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Do, do you see the gap? Do you see it there? And I got to tell you, from the beginning of time, there has been a great expanse, a huge expanse between the Creator and the created. Now, think about this. Even, even in a sinless world, before the fall, Adam and Eve were completely dependent on God for revelation, completely dependent. Think about it. They didn't come into existence knowing what life was all about. They didn't know who God was. They didn't know why God created them. Just imagine what that would have been like for Adam and Eve. So you might be thinking, well, Pastor Andrew, what what does this have to do with anything that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks? And here it is. Here's the deal, gang. We are really no different than Adam and Eve. We're really no different. You and I need to be taught how to live. And as created human beings, we simply don't have the capacity to understand life without divine help. Think about that. That's profound. At least it is to me. And hopefully you've been confronted with this truth week in and week out here at Emmaus Road, that without God's word, our existence doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I mean, if Adam and Eve needed God's word in a perfect, sinless world, how much more do we need it with our sin-infested hearts? So can we all agree, can, can we all agree here this morning that, that the Bible is really an extreme book? Yeah, I see a lot of heads shaking, yeah. Well, let, me, let me rephrase that. For sinful human beings, right, with selfish hearts and finite understandings, the Bible is a really extreme book. And maybe you've seen that over the last number of weeks as we work through the priorities in life that God lays out in Scripture. And as we transitioned into this current series on giving, maybe you've been hit really hard with a lot of truth bombs lately. And it's been amazingly transformative for your life and for your family. You see, the Bible has the unparalleled ability to just really grip us at our roots and just to really grab our sinful, creation-worshiping hearts and transform us really into entirely different people over time. And and I pray that the Holy Spirit does that again here this morning in this place as we once again open up the word of God together. Would you pray with me before we go any further in that? Heavenly Father, here's our hearts. Speak what is true. We hear stuff all week long, and our filters are really, they're broken and they're twisted and and they're conformed a lot of times to the patterns of this world. And we need you, Holy Spirit, to speak what is true into our hearts, that we're sinners in need of your grace, and that Jesus is the only solution to our sin problem. So come, come. Come. And speak what is true to us once again here this morning. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Uh, we're going to get to our text eventually. It's only two verses, but I want to kind of set it up here this morning. Because one of the principles for me as of late that's really kind of highlighted this extreme nature of the Bible is found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. It's up there on the screen. This is, this is what it says. Can we actually read this together as a church? Can we say this out loud together? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And Emmaus wrote, verses like this one don't really need, uh, don't, they don't need to be explained because it really is just straight truth. But, but let me attempt to rephrase what Jesus is teaching here. In essence, what Jesus is saying is it is spiritually impossible, spiritually impossible to pursue the kingdom of God and the kingdom of self simultaneously. It's impossible. But here's the thing. You and I don't want to agree with this teaching of Jesus. I mean, we agree with it, but we don't want to agree with it. We want to believe that our spiritual reality isn't as exclusive as Jesus says it is. And so we push it back against it functionally in our everyday lives and we argue that there has to be a way, there has to be a way that we can simultaneously serve God and the other stuff down here that we really, really love. But we can't. And truth be told, we don't really want to. Now, is that too extreme of a truth to hear this morning? I I hope, I hope it is. I hope it's laying in those ears and, and onto your hearts. I want you to know, gang, I I have a hard time admitting that about myself out loud to all of you in church while I'm preaching. There are moments that we simply don't care about the kingdom of God. We don't. And if you were given the choice, without the assistance of God's grace, to choose the stuff down here master, the created master, you would serve that stuff down here 100% of the time. And so would I ouch. But let me encourage you with another extreme statement and truth here this morning. And it's the extreme nature of the gospel. Because let me remind you, Emmaus that the God who spoke these words in Matthew 6:24 spoke these words here on earth. And that's amazing. His name is Jesus. And he left heaven and he came to earth to die for self-centered, addicted sinners like you and like me who settle for kingdoms way smaller than his. And the extreme truth and beauty of the gospel is that even though you and I can't serve two masters at the same time, that you and I can actually be completely hopeless in our sinful selves, while at the same time being completely hopeful in Christ's subst- substitutionary life given for us. Amen? You see, only grace can make our hearts choose the pleasure of the created over the pleasure, or the pleasure of the creator over the pleasure of the created. And that's exactly what we see here in the life of Paul in this morning's text. Grab your Bibles uh, and turn to Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one. We're gonna look at just two verses there in Colossians. And I invite you to turn there. We're just going to look at verses 24 and 25. The verses will be up there on the screen as well. But this is what it says. Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 24. Now, this is what it says. It starts off this way. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Now, we just got to stop right there. We can't just rush past that. You got to know that this was most likely a really extreme statement to the church there in Colossae when they first read this. And it should be to you and to me as well. You're rejoicing, you're rejoicing in your sufferings, Paul? Really? In your sufferings? Really? So was Paul some kind of of sadist here? Or was he just so spiritual that he didn't care about stuff down here like freedom and food and family and friends and all this kind of stuff that we enjoy? Was Paul just so consumed by God's grace? he was oblivious to his surroundings and current circumstances? No, the Apostle Paul loved all of these things as we love them as well. But here's the thing that I think that we can pull away from a statement like that. That our response to God's gifts will sometimes cause us to give up something we enjoy for something that we love even more. And the Apostle Paul got to this place in his Christian walk where he loved seeing people come to faith in Jesus. He just absolutely loved it. And so he loved it even more than his personal freedoms and the things that he'd be able to enjoy while not being in prison. Now, I'm not saying that Paul was the perfect Christian. I'm not saying that. Far from it. There was only one who was a perfect Christian. His name was Jesus. And so don't hear me say here today that that I just want you to be like Paul, okay? Okay. All you have to do is read Romans chapter 7, and you see very clearly that there were times where Paul did not choose the kingdom of God over the kingdom of self. Okay? There was a lot of times where he fell short of that. But what I am saying is that he had matured in his faith to the point where if he had to give up stuff down here, which is temporary, in order to store up treasures in heaven for all of eternity, he'd happily do it. Because see, without the love of something, you'll never endure when hardships come. Without the love of something, you will never endure when hardships come. Now, I've heard this teaching a couple times compared to childbirth. Now, moms, please correct me if this is wrong, because obviously I don't have a clue uh, about what you all go through, um, and nor do I care to ever uh, experience that. You can, you, ladies, you can have that. I'm sure every guy would say the same thing, like, have, have fun with that. Um, but, but I've heard it said, oh, childbirth, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Is it really? Really? Now, I spend some time googling things women say during labor. <laughs> and I don't know if you ladies have some good ones of your own. You probably do. But let's just say I couldn't share a lot of the ones that I came across online here from the pulpit this Sunday. It would be completely inappropriate for me to do so. Um, I mean, who would go through, who would go through all that pain and discomfort voluntarily? and call it even beautiful? And I think it's safe to assume that almost every mom in here, without really knowing your stories, every mom in here would enthusiastically say, "I would." I would, as they look back at the process. They would overlook their thought of their suffering and say to their child, if that's what it took to bring you into this world, then it was completely worth it. It was totally worth it. You see, your love towards your child, who they are now, and what you dream for them one day to be, allowed you to endure all of that, especially of those of you who got pregnant over and over and over again after the first one, just, just following God's command to, to fill up the earth, right? <laughs> the Apostle Paul said to the Colossians, this is how I feel about you spiritually. I rejoice in my suffering because of what I know it will produce in you. I'll do whatever it takes. I will pay whatever price I need to pay for you to know Jesus and him crucified for the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of his righteousness. You see, our response to God's gifts will sometimes cause us to give up something we enjoy for something we love even more. So gang, let me ask you, is this your response to God's gifts? Is this how you feel about what's even going on here at a Road Church? Are you rejoicing in sacrifices that you have made because of what you see God doing through those sacrifices in the lives of other people? And I'm not just talking, I'm not just talking about your financial sacrifices. D- don't get me wrong. They are sacrifices. As sinners, giving back to God really is extreme. It doesn't come natural to us. That's why we spent the last two weeks talking about it. Those offerings you give are vitally important to keep the the church open and for us to be actively engaged in our community. And and Emmaus Road, know this. Lives are being changed because of your sacrificial giving. They are. As one of your pastors, I have the blessing to, to hear and to see on the front lines lives that are being changed and impacted because of what you give week in and week out. But gang, there's a lot more that the Lord is calling us to lay down for the sake of the gospel, and hopefully you'll see that here in a minute. And so, gang, are, are you rejoicing in all of your sacrifices and hard times and sufferings, knowing of what it will actually produce in others? Or do you, or do you dread wondering about what God will allow you to suffer and make you do in the future? Are you one of those people who are like, "Yeah, man Paul, I know what suffering is all about. I do. I know suffering firsthand, man. I came to church today, and it was so crowded that, that I didn't get my normal seat that I normally sit in and, and I had to park so far away uh, because there wasn't a parking spot, so I actually had to walk like a you know like fifty yards into the building because I actually like had a park on the street because there wasn't a spot open left. And, and they sang a song I didn't even really know. And then my pastor came up here and started talking about, like, another service tonight, invited us to go to church two times on a Sunday. Like, who does that? And, and then, you know, I've been asked to give financially. And I've been asked to serve in ministries, even nursery, like nursery ministry. I've been asked to serve in nursery ministry. Do you know what they do? Like, I, like, is that your view? Is that your view of suffering? Is that your view of, of what it means to sacrifice for Jesus? Is that your idea of what God is calling you to do in response to his generosity towards you? I don't think so. I think it's way greater than that. And wrote, our response to God's gifts will sometimes cause us to give up something we really enjoy for something we love even more. And I want you to know that as your pastor, I pray that you guys would love more and more with the increasing measure, the depth and the richness of the gospel. And not just for your life, not just for you, but I pray that you would get to the place over time where the things of this world would just become less and less important and the salvation of others would actually begin to grip your heart. That's what the Apostle Paul says here in the first half of verse 24. Did you catch it? Far from being discouraged, far from being discouraged from all of the sufferings. He says, I rejoice because of what it produces in you, in you. And then in the next half of the verse, Paul takes the level of response even up a notch. And here's where we clearly see that it's way more than just about money. Look at verse 24 there. It says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, on the surface, this is a staggering statement. Did did you catch it? What could possibly be lacking in Christ's sufferings? Interesting. Didn't Jesus say from the cross, didn't he cry out, it is... Finished? Don't you hear us preach and teach week in and week out here at Emmaus Road that the pressure is off, that there's no more scorekeeping, that Jesus paid it all? We sing about it, we teach about it, we proclaim it all the time here. So, why would Paul actually say that something was lacking? Well, in one sense, the work of salvation is complete. It is. Jesus has done everything necessary to save us. But in another sense, we have to think about it this way. The saving act is not complete until we hear about it and receive it by grace through faith. Martin Luther famously said, it wouldn't matter if Jesus died a thousand times if no one ever heard about it. That just makes sense, right? Everybody's sins, you got to know this, everybody's sins have been atoned for everybody's sins have been forgiven, but not everybody has received that forgiveness. The message needs messengers. Emmaus wrote, did you hear that? The message needs messengers. The Apostle Paul says, Christ's sufferings for you, they are not complete until you hear about it. And if it takes my suffering to bring that to your ears, I'll gladly go through it a thousand times over. I love the way Dr. Timothy Keller says it. He says Christ's cross was for propitiation. It's a big word for atonement and forgiveness. He says ours is for propagation. In other words, Christ suffered to accomplish salvation, but we're called to suffer in order to spread salvation. Listen, let me give you another extreme teaching here this morning. Sometimes we don't like to hear this, but it needs to be said. Suffering gang was the means by which God ordained bringing salvation into the world. Suffering. But truth be told, we want it to be through prosperity and blessing, don't we? Just like the disciples did. Do you recall the scene right before Jesus ascended back into heaven? In Acts 1 6, it's up there on the screen. This is what they asked Jesus Lord, are you now going to restore the kingdom? to us, to Israel. And little did they know that he already had just a couple weeks earlier through his death, through his suffering. And it wasn't a kingdom of this world and only to Israelites, but his father's kingdom, which is now open to all by grace through faith in him. You know, Jesus told his disciples a lot of times something to the effect of, so as the father has sent me So now I am sending you. But it took them some time to get that, didn't it? But when they finally did, when they finally got that, the good news of the gospel, it spread like wildfire outside of Jerusalem, eventually reaching you and me some 2,000 years later. And gang, just like the Father sent Jesus into the world to bring salvation through suffering, so Jesus sends us into the world to extend his salvation through suffering. And not everyone is called to be put in chains like Paul, to beat up like Paul, to be humiliated like Paul, and to be even shipwrecked by Paul. It could be that. It could be. God might call you to that. But it could also be the loss and the laying down of possessions, and relationships, and popularity, and comfort, whatever. The Apostle Paul wrote elsewhere, he says this in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Gang, in those two verses, Paul lists a number of types of suffering. He talks about mental suffering and physical suffering, emotional suffering, even spiritual suffering. And so this might be something hard for you to hear, but it's necessary. You need to hear it. Emmaus wrote, is that a price that you are willing to pay? Are you? Are you willing to respond that way to God's gifts? Are you willing to welcome suffering and even rejoice in it? Gang, our willingness to endure hardship for the good of others is a filling up of Christ's afflictions because it actually extends the benefits of Christ's sacrifice to others and actually makes it visible. You see, our sacrificial response is way more than just money. Finances are a part of it. They are, but they're just a part. This is why Paul says in Romans 12.1, he says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, your bodies, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You see, it's a call for way more than just money. And isn't that what we owe to the gospel, Emmaus Road? I'm not trying to convince you of this. My words aren't that powerful. I don't have that much authority and power in of myself. So I am trusting in the truths of Scripture, especially one like Titus 2, which says this, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. And, and this salvation, this appearing of Jesus, it actually teaches us to say no to a number of different things, but one of them Paul lists there are worldly passions. Whatever those passions may be, the passions of money, of time, of power, of reputation, of relationships, and on and on and on and on and on we could go. And that's not to say that all of those passions are wrong. Don't hear me say that. But here's the deal. A desire for even a good thing can become a bad thing when that desire becomes a ruling thing. You see, we were not meant to be ruled by a desire for anything down here. We were meant to be ruled by our creator. This is why the Apostle Paul goes on to write in verse 25, it says this, I have become its, speaking of the church's, servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Now gang, is this this primarily how you see yourself? Emmaus Road, would you mainly see yourself as the servant of the church? Or the beneficiary of the church? Would you see yourself as the servant of the church, primarily, or the beneficiary of the church? Do you come here primarily saying, what can this church do for me and my family, or what role am I supposed to play inside the church? Now don't get me wrong, do not hear me say that there's anything wrong from benefiting. I started off this message by saying thank you to Pastor Brandon, right? and we are all benefiting from his leadership and his pastoral strengths and gifts and abilities and his preaching, we are so grateful for him, right? We are all benefiting from him. It's not bad to benefit from the church. We as a church want to be a blessing to you and your family, but which posture is primary in your life? Are you primarily a beneficiary of the ministries, or a servant of the mission of the church. That's why we unapologetically, gang, that's why we unapologetically ask you to serve and volunteer over and over and over again. We need you. You need you. All of you need you. Pastor Brandon and I can't do it on our own, We can't minister to everybody. That's impossible. So Paul says in verse 25, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you the word of God in its fullness. And that word commission there, gang, it actually means individual assignment, something given specifically to you. God doesn't just have this big, great, grand global mission that he assigns to the church at large. He does that for sure, but he also has individual assignments commissionings for you specifically. And let me ask you, do you know what that is in your life? He's given that to you. Do you know what that is? Have you ever given that some thought? Have you ever asked the Lord, Lord, would you reveal to me why you have blessed me with all this time and all these talents and abilities and all of these material possessions and wealths and all this kind of stuff? Why? He has a commission for you, and it's the kind of thing, gang, that if you don't do it, it won't get done. At least it won't get done the way it could get done, because God was the one who commissioned you to do it. Uh, This past week, I stumbled on uh, to a collection of these, um, you had one job memes. Have you ever seen these before? I was actually working on my sermon in Clinton at 392, grabbing some coffee, and I spent I couldn't believe it. About an hour and a half looking online, just like scrolling through these things and just laughing hysterically. I thought I'd want to share some of them. Look, look at these. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you had one job. Can you see? No, 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 no. Go back. Baseball bounce balls. Anybody see what's wrong with that? Yeah, they're soccer balls. Yeah, and I don't think there's 12 pieces in there. Go to the next one. Okay, you had one job, man. Long yellow things. I think they're bananas. You could have even put plantains and we'd give you a pass. But you didn't know what they were. One job. Keep going. I hope... <laughs> I know Christmas is right around the corner. I hope you don't get a doll stuffed animal like that. That's, that's sad. That's sad. Um, go... Yeah, I am so grateful that our pool... Do you see the gap in the slide? You be- that like better be like a mile high to get the speed enough to go like the four feet that's in the gap between the pool and the end of the slide there. I'm grateful for our pool. I love our pool in town, but that, that, I would never go there. Um, and next one. One job. How, did that, how does that even happen? How do you even say that? I don't even know. All right, next one. <laughs> the gate, yeah. One job. Does not, that doesn't work. That's not going to suffice. Um, yeah. Oh, anyway, all right. Uh, and yeah, one job. No, keep going. One job. I th- Poor short people. That's not going to work. But before you go to the next one, um, the next one's my favorite. <laughs> it really is, all right, go there. I think the person actually did it right. <laughs> Personally, I'm a Coke fan over Pepsi. Uh, if I was a Pepsi person, I'd I, would, I yeah, I'd be mad, but I wouldn't work for Pepsi. I'd only work for Coke. But um, one job, get one job. And they couldn't get it, they couldn't get it right. And gang, that's what Paul is talking about here. God is, give, like in essence, God has given you a job. He's given you a spiritual gift, and he's given you gifts to do it. But did you catch how the Apostle Paul writes about this in verse 25? It was a commission God gave me to present to you. The ESV translates this word commission as, as a stewardship. It's something given to me for you. It's not for our own self-enjoyment, but for the sake of someone else. To, to serve the common good of the body of Christ, as 1 Corinthians 12:7 teaches God gives it to us for others. In fact, according to Scripture, if you don't use it for the purposes that God gave it to you for, in essence, it says you're stealing from God and stealing from others. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 1, 14 and 15, and and he calls himself a debtor to the Romans. That's the King James Version. He was in debt to the Romans. His job was to bring them the gospel. That's what he was commissioned for. Think about that. Jesus gave him, God gave him this this assignment, this, this amazing assignment to preach to the Romans, and he gave them the ability to carry it out. And because of that, he was now, in his opinion, a man under obligation. I literally owe it to you. I owe it to you to get this message to you. And if I don't, I am actually reneging on a debt. Listen up, whoever you are or whatever you're calling, your life will either be enhanced or victimized by your desires. The scary thing is you can't avoid desire, neither can I. So we need to ask ourselves, what is it that I desire? And how closely is it associated to the kingdom of God? Emmaus Road, know this today, by grace you have been given the power to pursue and serve one true master, the creator, and not the created. This morning, I think it would do us all well to once again just come to our Savior, the one who has paid it all for us, the one who welcomes us by his grace and confess once more, Lord, I spend so much time in my little me-sized kingdom in the pursuit of something way smaller than what you have planned for me, I see it in myself. I see myself dominated by my sinful, selfish, worldly passions. I'm tired of drinking from wells that are dry. I'm tired of serving false gods. I place myself and my heart before you, and and I ask that you take it, that you own it, that you do with me as you will, because I want to live for your kingdom. But there's a war, Lord, in my heart so I constantly need your help day by day. Please forgive me day by day, and please rescue me from me day by day so that I might find my treasure in you and in your kingdom more and more. You think on that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, see, our lives are way more than just giving money. It's a big part. Don't get me wrong, it is. But you call us to give our lives away. And so Lord, may we may we wrestle with how you have gifted us and how we can better use those gifts to expand your kingdom here in this church, in this community and even around the world. Lord, you don't call us into something without first gifting us And giving us the ability to do that. And so for those in this room who are like stirring and they're like, Man, I I want to do more, I sense that within me, but I don't I don't know what to do. Lord, I pray that they would act upon it. They'd come talk to me and Brandon, someone else in the church. Lord, even if there's someone here this morning that's just stirring in their heart and they're like, I don't I don't even know this God they're talking about. I don't know about this Jesus, but I want to find out more about the sacrifices that he made that that scripture actually talks about that we've heard about today. Lord, I pray that that person wouldn't leave this place today without talking with someone and getting right with you. Lord, you are good and you are holy and you are just. And there are so many people who have not heard about this message. And so use us, Lord, use us to fill up what is lacking and your afflictions so that more people could hear about this wonderful message and all God's people said. Well, we are so glad that you came to worship here at Emmaus Road this morning, and I'm going to steal the benediction that Brandon usually uses here this morning. Uh, but it's a good thing because they are the words of Jesus. They're not his words; the words of Jesus. But he he often leaves us with these words, and, I, and it's so it's so fitting. Just as the Father has sent me, Jesus said to his disciples, and he's saying to all of you, so I send you. Go in peace this week. Serve the Lord. Your sins are.